0: Good morning. It's good to see you today and I'm going to encourage you now to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we'll be looking at two verses there in the second chapter of Colossians today, verses 6 and 7. Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7. Well, we're in week 2 of our current sermon series entitled Community Matters. Uh, Last week we looked at the importance of the body of Christ and how God has sovereignly by His grace put us all together, uh, equipped us and made us who we are as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, This morning we're going to consider one of the responsibilities that we have as God's people and that is to be growing people, growing Christians. So we want to understand as we think about our community here at Redeeming Grace, what it means to be a growing community, and not just numerically, Although we want to be growing numerically, we want to consider especially this morning what it means to grow in maturity, grow in the knowledge and truth of who Jesus is. Let's pray together and we'll consider God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you, Father, that you have given us this inspired, inerrant word for us to hear and learn from today. Father, would you now take your truth and plant it deep within us, Would you help us, Father, understand it that we may respond and live by it to your glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask someone close to you to describe your character, what would they say? Think about that for a minute and let that resonate. Maybe that's a question that frightens you a bit, or maybe it encourages you. Growing up, one of the things that I would often hear, whether being directed to me or someone else I knew, is people would often say, you got a lot of your mama in you. you got a lot of your daddy in you. And that could be good or bad, depending on the circumstances surrounding that. Or maybe as a parent, you've heard people say that about your own kids, and that's humbling, isn't it? You act a lot like your father. It's not always a compliment, is it? What if I were to ask the same question, though, about us as a church? How would people that know us, maybe you, how would you even describe this, but people who know us as a congregation, how would they describe the character of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church? What would they say? One of the things that I think is important for us to understand as a congregation, especially as a church that desires to be a healthy congregation, a healthy church, a healthy church is a church that will increasingly reflect the character of God. So we want it to be true of us that people say about us that you've got a lot of your father in you we want that to be said corporately even individually as christians a healthy congregation is a congregation that will increasingly reflect god's character well again we are in week two of a series on christian community and spending about five weeks looking at what a healthy community looks like and how it lives Today, we're going to consider the fact that a healthy community of Christians will be a growing community of Christians. Our text this morning is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Very short, but let me read it. This is what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As Christians, our lives ought to be marked by a steady growth and conformity to a standard that God has both ordained and defined. Today we're going to consider four features of Christian growth from these two verses. One of the things I love about the writings of Paul and the other New Testament letters is it's easy to outline. And what you see here in these two verses is a very straightforward outline. There's a clear command, as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. There's the imperative, walk in him. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at four features of that walk. And we're going to build those four features of that walk based upon really four participles in this verse, in these two verses. You're going to see it. Just look at the text. Walk in him. There's the command. Rooted, built up, established, and abounding in thanksgiving. There's your four points this morning. I'm going to kind of define them a little differently so we can see where we're going. But that that's the outline of the sermon today. Walk in him. How do we do that? Rooted, built up, established, abounding in thanksgiving. So these four features that we see are, are not commands as much as they're simply statements that describe what the Christian life looks like. Four features of the Christian life as we consider what it means to walk in Christ. Let's look at these together. We're gonna begin this morning by looking at the foundation, the foundation of our walk, or the foundation of our growth. Paul's letter to the Colossians was, was, was birthed out of a concern that they would not be led astray by false teachers. That was something that was going on in this region in this day and time. There were false teachers coming and and trying to confuse and deceive the people, particularly in this case, concerning the truth of who Jesus was. And so Paul has a concern, and he wants to care for the church at Colossae here, and so he writes this letter to encourage them and to remind them about the truth of who Jesus is and to caution them not to give way to this false teaching that so prominent, so he writes to exhort them in their commitment to the Lord Jesus. Now, the verses we're looking at today are somewhat of a hinge in the letter, where Paul really transitions out of chapter one after just kind of stating up front the preeminence of Christ. You see this glorious uh, reference to Jesus there in chapter one, verses fifteen through uh, through uh, twenty this glorious truth, and and then you see Paul says some other things, but here he really begins now to press in on his exhortation to the Christians there as he exhorts them to live a life that is conformed to this Jesus. Therefore, he says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He's reminding them here of their foundation, and that foundation is clear. Foundation is Jesus. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Notice how he elaborates. He doesn't just say Jesus. He says Christ Jesus the Lord. He, he, in those four words or that, that title, if you will, Christ Jesus the Lord, he's making a point, isn't he? He's, he's saying this for emphasis. Christ, the anointed, the promised Messiah, Jesus, the one who would come to save his people from their sins. Lord, emphasizing his kingship and his sovereignty. His point here was simple. If they get their understanding of Jesus wrong or get it confused, then everything else would be as well. You get the wrong Jesus. You get a wrong understanding of Jesus. You're going to confuse and mess up the Christian faith. And that was what was going on. And he's writing here to to preserve the gospel, to preserve the truth about who Jesus is, and then exhort, command, encourage God's people to walk in him. They had to get him right. They had to understand the truth of who he was. Again, if you go back to chapter one, you see this glorious hymn, if you will, even. Verse 15, speaking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. A glorious testimony to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is exhorting them to walk in him. As you've received him, walk in him. Notice here, as, as Paul goes into in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, look at the text. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted Rooted, really the idea here is a past action, having been rooted. The New American Standard really, I think, fleshes that out a little bit better than some of our other English translations. Having been rooted, he's pointing back to the fact that their salvation has been received and it's been received through Jesus. He's pointing back to their salvation and their union with Christ. Having been rooted, having received Christ Jesus the Lord. Friends, understanding our foundation is so critical to our growth as Christians. If you were to read many other passages, we could go to many, but I want to read one from John chapter 15, verses four and five. Jesus uses the illustration of vine and branches here to help us see the importance of being connected to him. He says this in John 15, verse four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus is, again, clarifying here that that there must be an abiding, there must be a connection to him for there to be life and for there to be abundant life and fruitful life. Paul here in Colossians 2 is reminding them of the same truth. Do not forget the centrality that Jesus plays in your life. Friends, there's a lot of things you can build your lives on. There's a lot of things you can try to build life on. Uh, Even Christians try to build their lives on various things, but listen, there's only one person that will fulfill you. There's one person and only one person that will transform you, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, you cannot be a thriving, growing, fruit-bearing Christian apart from Christ. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's kind of stating the obvious, isn't it? It's obvious. In order to be a Christian, you must be connected to Jesus. But friends, it's not so obvious, is it, in how we often conduct ourselves. I mean, we say we believe those kinds of things, but but what is it that you're rooting your life in? Many times we say, well, of course, a life built on Christ. But sometimes we treat Jesus as simply a means to an end, don't we? We see him as a means to an end rather than seeing him both as the source and substance of our life. You know, buzzwords often come and go, as it seems true with anything in life. And uh, Phrases, words will will often be prominent in certain periods of times in our lives, and and they come and go. But two buzzwords that seem most prominent in our circles today are the two phrases Christ-centered and gospel-centered. Christ-centered and gospel-centered. And I know that we use those words a lot, but listen, it's just simply a reminder. It's just simply a way that for us to be reminded of who and what our life is to be built upon and around. Here's the truth. Something or someone will drive your life. Something or someone will drive your life. For the Christian, that something or someone is Jesus. The foundation of our growth must be upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see right there in the text, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been rooted, having been connected, having been established in Jesus through faith. This is a a source of encouragement to you as a Christian. As a Christian, you can say, I've been rooted in Christ, having received him. I've been rooted in him. That's an encouraging thing to you. Friends, you may be here today, and and you may be here not a Christian. One of the things that we would just encourage you to consider today is, is, is what Paul is assuming of the church here at Colossae. He's, as you receive Christ Jesus, friend, have you received him? Have you received, by faith, Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? Have you been rooted in Christ? Most important question you'll answer the rest of your life, much less today. Have you been rooted? Have you been rooted in Christ? Have you received Christ Jesus? And if not, understand that he and he alone is the way to the Father. He, and he alone is the way to God. He and he alone is the only source of true spiritual life. Look to him and rest in him. Receive him in faith. So you see the foundation of our growth. That must be in place, but let's consider the process of our growth. Building upon the second word that we're looking at from verse 7, so walk in him, command, rooted, having been rooted, and built up in him, it says. Built up, again, more of the idea of a present continuous action, being built up. So the idea here is having been rooted and presently being built up in him. The process of our growth. Paul's looking both to the past connection to Jesus and now the ongoing work of the gospel in our lives. When you receive Jesus and you're rooted in him, it begins a process of growth. It begins a process of being built up. In fact, if you go back and look at chapter 1, look at verse 21, after Paul gives us this glorious picture of who Jesus is in verses 15 through 20. He says this, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why has he done this? The next phrase, in order that. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is one of the reasons that you've been saved. If you are rooted in Jesus, if you receive Christ in faith, if you've been saved by him, it is so that in order to to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, notice verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Look at this. In Paul's mind, the gospel was just as important to the believer now as it was when they first believed. Paul's emphasizing here again the, one of the fruits of the gospel was to grow us, to transform us. One of the things that marks the life of the Christian is growth. But oftentimes we push back against that, don't we? We are sure glad to have our sins forgiven, to be promised eternity in heaven. But when it comes to the other parts of our faith, we grow a little reluctant and uncomfortable. In fact, if I were to use words like holiness, repentance, godliness, those are words, we know they're in the Bible, we know that that they're words, but those are all things that we're called to as Christians, but they're uncomfortable words sometimes. Holiness, repentance, godliness. If we're we're honest with ourselves, we're we're not always comfortable using that kind of language. In fact, one of the things that's that's often the case, not always, but often the case, is, is we find it much easier to talk about how messed up and broken we are than it is to talk about the pursuit of holiness. I mean, we can be quick to acknowledge, oftentimes, how sinful we are. But the point of the gospel The point of the gospel is that Jesus came not only to save the messed up and broken, but he came to transform us. It's something we need to keep in mind. Brett McCracken said this. He said, we've become too comfortable with our sin. He's talking to Christians in the church. We've we've become too comfortable with our sin to the point that it's how we identify ourselves and relate to others. But shouldn't we find connection over Christ rather than our depravity? By focusing on our brokenness as proof of realness, have we made authenticity a higher calling than holiness? I think he has a point. In other words, it's easier to say, I'm such a sinful person, I'm so selfish, or I can't just seem to get beyond fill in the blank, than it is to describe how you're advancing in godliness and holiness and what does repentance look like in your life. Friends, while the reality of your sin and my sin, our struggle, is real. As a Christian, your identity should not be found in how selfish and sinful you are, but rather on who you are in Christ. Oftentimes it seems that we're obsessed with relating to each other and just how how, how wrong we are, how broken we are, instead of being obsessed with the holiness that ought to be increasingly marking our lives as Christians. Yes, we are called to be real and authentic, and sometimes that means being transparent with others about where we're struggling with sin. But if you stay there, it's no better than an AA group. Where's the hope in that? We can get together and just revel in our sin or marvel in how sinful we are. But friend, what good is that if you don't understand what what that's missing is the whole point of the gospel. Jesus takes the broken, the messed up, the depraved, the ugly, the ungodly, and he saves them and he begins this work of what we call sanctification, this progressive work of transforming us. Yes, we need to be authentic and real and understand where we struggle, but if we just talk about that instead of where we're growing, then we've missed the whole point of the gospel. And so let's level the playing field here this morning. We are all sinners, and we are all broken. We are all messed up. We are all guilty. That's who we are. That's, what, that's how we enter this life. But listen, grace sweeps us off the track of self-destruction and he puts us on a new track of transformation. That's what the gospel does. It sweeps you off of this this pathway of certain self-destruction, and it puts you on this new pathway of certain transformation by the grace of God. I just ask you simply this morning, how is that going? How is that going in your life? What does that look like? Are you regularly giving yourself up to being built up in Christ? Are you satisfied with where you are presently in your growth and obedience? The answer to that should be no. All of us. I was asking you, as you reflect upon your own life, how is it that you're being built up? It, this requires commitment. This is not just where we kind of sit back and let God do all of the work. Look, if you were to go back to Philippians chapter 2, a couple of pages before this, different letter, different church, Chapter 2 verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Yes, there is a work that God is doing in you. But friend, there is also a responsibility that you have to give yourself to this work of being built up. It requires commitment and work. Jesus said if anyone would follow him that he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow him. It requires a lifetime of investment. Your transformation is what Jesus died for. He died to build you up in him so that you look more and more like him every day. Just like a kid looks more and more like his or her parents every day in some aspect or another, in normal situations. This is what the normal life of a Christian ought to reflect, that we look more and more like our God every single day, that we're being built up in him, that we deny ourselves, that we give ourselves to taking up that daily cross. Yes, that requires sacrifice. Yes, that requires work. Yes, that requires labor. That that requires giving ourselves. The great Anglican J.C. Rowell once said this, In his book on holiness, a single day in hell will be worse than a whole life spent carrying the cross. Just think about that. This is the life that we've been called to, that we would be built up in Jesus. Walk in him, being rooted, having been rooted, and presently being built up. Leads us to number three, the means of our growth. Established in the faith. Again, an ongoing work, a present action, continuing to be established just as you were taught. Here Paul highlights the part of being in the faith that means believing truth. The truth being a central part to our lives of being built up. And this was the very thing that threatened the Colossian believers. The truth was being questioned. The truth was being attacked. The truth was being repackaged, if you will, into something else. Paul's just simply reminding them, don't forget the truth. Having been taught the truth, don't forget it. This is how you're established, is through the truth. This is one of the reasons that a community of believers is so important to your own sanctification and growth. So important. The Christian life was never meant to be a life lived out in isolation. The church is God's primary means, the primary context for building up believers and establishing them in the truth. Notice the pronoun you. It's twice there. Verse six, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus. Verse seven, just as you were taught I know our English, is, it messes pronouns up sometimes. That's a plural you. That's you all. Paul's assuming all of this he's saying in verses 6 and 7 is taking place in the context of community, in the context of the local church. He's saying this to the church. A lot of times we read the Bible and we immediately begin to apply it individually and we need to do that. But understand here that he's saying this just as you, Christians, plural, Just as you have received Christ. Just as you, Christians, were taught. Biblical community, specifically the local church, is God's ordained context for change and transformation to take place. see it again in Ephesians 2. This is where Paul is talking about how Jew and Gentile have been made one. And he's applying it to the context of Ephesus here, but he's, we can see how, how this is a beautiful picture. And notice what he says in Ephesians 2, verse 19. He says this, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is one of the reasons we need each other. This is one of the reasons we need the body of Christ. This is why we can't talk about, I would say it's impossible to talk about sanctification and not talk about it in the context of biblical community. Being built up in Christ assumes that you're being built up within the body that we talked about last week. And it's no light work. Again, to to, to reference Paul as he writes to young Timothy, Timothy who was serving I believe it was in Ephesus. And he writes there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and following, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, you exercise freaks, it only has some value. It's a good thing. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Then notice what he says a f- few words later. For to this end... We toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God. You just reverse that. Because we've set our hope upon the living God, we toil and strive in order to train ourselves in godliness. The gospel is the motivating—it's the motivating factor. It's the motivating influence to spur you on to biblical transformation. So walk in him, having been rooted in Christ and now being built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, just as you were taught particularly in the truth of the gospel. So when we think about this as a church, the question then becomes is how do we go about the work of building up Christians and establishing them in the truth here? Here. At Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. What does that look like? What does Colossians 2, 6, and 7 look like here in this context? What is our strategy for making disciples? Well, I want you to, if you you will, I want you to think about this in, in four words. Four words. When we think about being built up, we talk about exalting, equipping, encouraging, and engaging. Now we're going to talk about these four words and we're going to flesh these out a little bit more as we continue the series. One of the things, and w- when we use these four words, when you think about growing as a disciple here in the context of this local church, these four areas are areas in which we want to see every Christian engaged in, involved in, so that you can be built up. This is what we do to build Christians here. We want to see Christians involved in corporate worship. Jeremy's going to have a lot more to say about that next week when he looks at uh, Hebrews chapter 10. But worship is important for many reasons. What we're doing now in this gathering has many purposes and many reasons. Ultimately, the glory of God. But one of the reasons we gather corporately is to be built up. Worship, corporate worship, is formative. It forms you. It's not just something you attend and go to and say, oh, that was nice. There's a work of God going on right now as you hear God's word, as you sing God's word, as we pray God's word as you see it even in the ordinances when we practice those. We want Christians exalting. We want Christians involved in worship that is formative in a way. We want to equip. We want to teach. We want to train disciples. One of the ways we do that here is through our equip hour, through discipleship classes. Right now, I would say that this is one of the primary ways that we teach. We have a series of classes on Sunday morning that we recommend everyone attend. And again, you've heard me say this before. These equipped classes are classes that we believe every Christian needs. You may think, well, I'm not interested in those. Okay. But I know as elders, we're saying every Christian needs this. You need to understand how to study the Bible. sat in on a class this morning called Biblical conflict resolution. You ever been in a conflict? Who hasn't been in a conflict? Rick, that class ought to double next week. Where are you at? How many of you can explain in five minutes or less what the Old Testament covers? We all need to understand this. How many of you could just, just explain the Gospel of John? Or maybe when you're reading it in your personal time, you're like, oh, I don't know exactly what, the, you know, what, what makes John so different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a lot. And these equipped classes are, are designed to help you learn, to be equipped, to have a good working foundation and Christian worldview through which to think about the Christian life. We want to see Christians encouraged through fellowship. This is one of the reasons we provide home groups or the occasional men's and women's small groups. We want to see you investing in relationships with each other so that you can encourage one another around the truth of God's word. Not necessarily encourage each other just to be a better supporter of this particular favorite team that you have. A lot of places you can be encouraged. But we're talking about biblical encouragement, meaning biblically encouraged around the truth. And so we want to see people involved in small groups where they can be encouraged in relationship and fellowship around God's word. And so you see that that there are opportunities here for that to take place. A couple of weeks we're going to talk about discipling one another and what that looks like life on life and how all of us as disciples, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple, and if you're a disciple, you have a responsibility to be discipled and to disciple others. We're gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks and what that looks like, and so one of the things that we wanna see grow in, in our culture here at Redeeming Grace, where it just becomes normal where Christians are getting together regularly to encourage each other towards godliness and in the truth. And then we want to see Christians engaging the world through ministry and missions. Discipleship impacts our lives so that we grow and as we grow we give ourselves to the mission of the church, to the the Great Commission, to make disciples. So One of the things that you see there is that that our approach is seeking to address the head, the heart, and the hands, isn't it? People understanding, growing in the knowledge and truth of who Jesus is. We want people engaged in in heartfelt relationships where they're understanding that, that they can have this biblical community around the truth. We want hands involved, meaning that they're engaged towards ministry. This is our strategy. Be regular in worship. Be active in these equip opportunities. Participate in small groups of some kind. Serve in ministry. Is one of the, this is the, the, the ways that we're seeking to go about building up Christians here at Redeeming Grace. And so our desire here at Redeeming Grace is to foster a culture of Christ followers where it is the normal practice and desire of every Christian to be built up and established in the faith. It's fruit of the gospel. So you see that. So walk in him, having been rooted, now being built up and established in the faith. That's what we want to be about. When people ask, well, what is the mission of the church? Well, our mission is to make disciples, and this is how we do it. To God's glory. What about the result of our growth? The result of our growth. You see that there at the end of verse 7. Abounding in thanksgiving. Christians that are rooted, having received Jesus, being rooted in him, that are now being built up and established, In him are a people who will overflow with thanksgiving. They know what they've been saved from. They see progress being made in their lives, and they are thankful. Growing Christians are thankful people. One of the ways, not just the only, but one of the ways maybe you can kind of examine your own heart this morning, examine your own Growth in grace is to to take a pulse on your gratitude. How grateful are you? Instead of seeing things in life as always obstacles and standing against you and as as bringing you down and discouraging you and and frustrating you, instead of seeing them as opportunities that God has ordained into your life to, to grow you and to mature you and to make you more like Jesus. And you're thankful. As hard as that is, I'm thankful that I had to go through that. Because now I'm better off for it. Growing Christians are thankful people. Gratitude in the Christian's life is a mark of God's Spirit doing a work in you. It rightly orients our heart toward God because through thanksgiving we acknowledge. We acknowledge God's work in our lives to save us and to build us up, to establish us. Friends, do you find yourself growing in gratitude? Gratitude you find yourself thankful? As you look back upon your life and you see progress that's been made, are you thankful for that? Do you give God thanks for what he's done in you? How he's used people, individuals, the church, and, and other means to, to grow you? you find yourself thankful for what God has done? Whereas the Christian life is one of change and growth. And if we're going to be a healthy community of believers, then we must be a community of people that take their growth in the gospel and obedience to Christ. Seriously, I mean this is not something we just play around with. One of the most important things you can do for the life and health of this congregation is to grow in personal holiness. People often ask a question similar to that. How can I best serve Redeeming Grace? Or what can I do to really get involved here and to to help out? First answer, grow in personal holiness. That's one of the best things you can do for the life and health of this, this congregation is to take your own holiness seriously. Commit yourself to growing as a Christian. That's the first step. Commit yourself to growing as a Christian. And friends, what better place to do that than with brothers and sisters who are growing alongside you? To be in community together, understanding that this is not just an just a isolated individual responsibility that we have, although it is individual to an extent, but it's placed within the context of corporate relationship, community. I mean, we would think someone crazy we would arrest a person that would have a child and say you're on your own go it sounds so absurd to us then yet as christians oftentimes we act that way don't we i can be a christian but i don't really need the church i would say the bible knows nothing of such a thing as a christian you are saved into the church And in the church, in the body, God works to transform his people together by his grace and for his glory to make us more like Christ. So friends, let's give ourselves to this work of growth, understanding that, yes, it is God who works in us, but that we would, too, seek to be built up and established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. Friends, let's be a gathering of Christians that walk In Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for reminding us of who it is you are and what it is you've called us to be. Lord, we know that it's by your grace that we come here today. It's by your grace that we have been saved. It's by your grace that we continue to grow. Father, I pray that as we consider these things, that we would just be self-reflective this morning, that we would be thinking about fruit in our own lives. That we would understand that it's your intent to not just save us for heaven, but Lord, save us and fit us for heaven. That you would make us more and more like Jesus every single day. And Lord, that we would just see where that's taking place and be thankful. But Lord, also that we would see where we need where there's much room for growth and that we would strive and toil and labor and work to be built up to be established or that our thanksgiving would increase because our growth father i ask that you would just help us to see where we need to see this morning in our own lives. But Lord, maybe it is that you're using us in others' lives. Father, that we would be able to see the connection of our own personal growth to the growth of the body. Lord, that our own growth in grace is not just impacting us, it's impacting those around us. And our lack of growth impacts those around us. This is a community endeavor. This growth that you've called us to is not something that we do alone but we do together so Lord would you do a work in us would you grow us would you conform us to the image of Christ and would you do this to your glory and for the good of us as a church that people would see your character on display at redeeming grace and Father that it's all because of your redeeming grace. Father, we thank you so much for what you've given us in Christ. Help us now to walk in him to your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.